0: Well, good morning. Uh, looking forward to what God has for us as we worship together. And we know that there are those who have called in and say they have uh, some respiratory issues and are sick and and uh, of all ages. And we just uh, trust that God will provide for them. And as we have opportunity uh, to worship together, we're going to do that with spirit and truth as best we can. One of the things... Uh, we had announced uh, in the, both, uh, the first service now to this one as well, we've had some people go through recently the membership class. Uh, Kevin Favio, Brian Gilmore, Once you raise your over here, be sure to, I guess not shake his hand, but um, uh, give him a, a smile. Um, Chris Young, um, Yoon Young, Nick Wilson, Vanessa Wilson, who's sick uh, this morning, Alice Kimbrell and Dave Kimbrell, uh, people of all ages uh, have just recently uh, made that stuff and become members and, and uh, part of, officially part of God's family here and we're excited about that. You know, as we think about this and the message is not going to be on the coronavirus, I think uh, have you heard about it recently? Is it uh, you get to read about it or see it on the airways and whether it be radio or TV? Uh, but uh, Sean McDowell just recently put together something about answering the question. I'm not going to pr- preach it. I'm going to just share it. With, but it's, it's, he tried to answer from an apologetic perspective, well, why does God allow things like the coronavirus? Why does God not step in and eliminate that? and and that's part of the problem that some people have. If there is a God that loves us and is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop this? Um, and he, he shared these four real quick things. I just want to make a brief comment. First, the world is deeply broken. Have you discovered that? Uh, the Bible teaches that, that we live in a world that is broken, not only with our sin, but the disease and death that has arisen because of we have fallen away from him. And so that's just a statement of reality. Uh, secondly, God allows suffering and evil to draw us to eternal things. And that is a reality, is that when things are going well, people can easily forget about God. But when things go wrong, uh, people begin to look for answers beyond themselves. If you remember the 9-11, it was interesting that the Sunday right after 9-11, every church was packed. The next week, 90% of them did not come back. Um, It was the urgency of the the need that they wanted to find out, could God help them? But then uh, when things go all right, they have a tendency to leave. Thirdly... Jesus understands our suffering, and so we need to realize that, that we don't have a a Savior who cannot um, identify with our challenges because He suffered greater than any of us have uh, to bring us to Him, and then finally realizing that in the midst of all that goes wrong, that Jesus is the overcomer, He is the conqueror, and we can trust in Him. So with that, just as an entry uh, into our prayer time, let's remember those in need, Uh, remember those who are... In leadership within around the world they might make wide decision and above all else God's people in the midst of um, pain and suffering that we might be uh, agents of uh, the hands and feet of Jesus to show love uh, to a needy world let's pray together uh, Father we thank you for at least the freedom so far we have to gather for worship and we don't know what the numbers will be where uh, we're restricted from doing that but Father we want to be people that are sensitive to the needs around us, that we don't want to spread the virus even more quickly than it would be. But Father, we do thank you that we can, we can still gather under certain numbers to, to publicly gather to, to encourage ourselves spiritually, to be built up spiritually. And, and Father, we do want to recognize there is, a, there is a danger from a physical perspective in our world today, but Father, there's a spiritual danger as well. And when we don't turn to you, when we don't rely upon you, when we don't come to you recognizing our need, then we are in a place spiritually where we could fall very easily. Then, Father, we pray in the midst of all that's going on, that the gospel might spread powerfully, that people might recognize that this life, um, though it's important, is like a vapor. It will soon be over. And, Father, we all need to consider what, what comes next, and are we prepared for come, what comes next? And Father, we even pray today as we look in your word, as we look at what has happened in the past, that's just a mirror of what you're doing now, might we recognize that you are our source of hope and our strength. Now Father, we do pray for those in, in various areas of ministry, and even as we pray today for one of our missionaries, uh, uh, Gary and Kelly Yoon, who are reaching out to international students. And Father, as they have opportunity to, uh, to reach People for Christ that will go back to their own homeland and be great ambassadors for you. And they already know the language and the customs and the culture. Father, we pray that you might use them in powerful ways. And Father, we do pray for each one here as we have family and friends and, and people that we know that are in need, maybe even physically. But Father, we know there's so many that we know that are in need spiritually. Might we recognize, above all else, there is a greater need, and that is to come into a right relationship. One, the one who made us and sent his son to die for us. Father, help us to be a people that really trust in you. And might we be a light in the midst of darkness. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We are doing an offering a little bit different, and we share sure that will be the offering. We'll be a re- receiving offering at the end of our service. But God uh, gives us great opportunity to, to gather together and be, uh, be people who support uh, what God's doing here locally and globally as we uh, give unto him. All right. well, this is an opportunity in a kind of a strange environment to uh, gather together and look at what God has done and recognize that what He continues to do because His his faithfulness is for His people. So if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have one, there should be one in the pew or the chair in front of you uh, and pull it out and and turn to Exodus chapter 6. And we're in the story of, of God bringing His people to the way out, and as we think about uh, the necessity to, to find the way out is because of what you're in already. And, and we are in a perilous time around the world. And there's so many things that we're hearing from various sources. And uh, it's always kind of interesting to me that they tell you not to panic, not to panic, not to panic. And then they tell you things to panic about, right? And, and so w- what is our source of hope? What are we going to do when we look around us and we're, we're thinking, what's going to happen next? And maybe this past week you might have been in various uh, circumstances where you were crowded around other people and now they're telling you to, to somehow lock yourself in a room with no one else. And, and you're well, what's what are we going to hear next? Well, if, if you're thinking that, feeling that, if you experience that, that this is nothing new. Th- this has happened throughout history in various ways, shapes, and forms. And, and really it has happened in the lives of God's people the time of Exodus, and if you remember back to where we've been and getting to the place where we are right now, is, is God's people have been totally um, shocked by what has just happened. They had been sent a couple representatives from God, Noah and, I mean Noah, Moses and Aaron, and as they show up, uh, they're convinced that they are from God because Moses tells the experience of the burning bush and that bush speaking to him, and then to verify that, he does some miraculous things to convince that this couldn't have happened naturally. It had to happen supernaturally, and the response is they bow down and worship before the living God, and, and they're so excited that they know God's going to arrive on the scene and do it not uh, tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, but he's going to do it today. And so they go to Pharaoh and they, they asked uh, for Pharaoh to, because God has spoken to them, to let them go. And, and Pharaoh didn't say go. He says what? He says no. And he says, Moses, you're, you're staying here and I'm going to make you an example. And what he does to his people is he makes it worse rather than better. And have you ever had that happen to you, where you're, you're praying for something and, and asking for God to re- relieve pain or to heal you or to change your circumstances, and you're, and you're just convinced that because God is able and God is caring for you, that it's, it's going to happen. And then, then what you experience, and think, instead of things getting better, it, they get what? They get worse. And you're saying, what is up with this, God? I thought you were supposed to provide. I thought you were supposed to rescue me. And as we, as we think about God's timing, we always need to realize that, and we're going to see this in the passage, that God will be faithful to all his promises, but we cannot always understand or even pro- project when he's going to do it. And we know in the end he will rescue all of us from every disease, from every challenge of life, because we'll be in the presence, the physical presence of the living God. But until that time, we live day by day, on His promises, and recognize what should we do now with what we're going through. And so that's why the message this morning has been entitled, Then What? After what happens, what should we expect now because of what we're in? And sometimes we don't get the specific answers, but we can get the promises of God that will be applied to us in our experience now. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 6 with a background of just what I shared with you, that they have been extremely shocked that their lives have gotten worse rather than better, their bondage has remained, and the burdens become heavier because now the bricks they're supposed to make for the building program of Pharaoh, uh, they have to do now without the straw being provided for them and and their quota not being lessened, and they're being taught a lesson by one who feels that he can say, hey, I'm, I'm stronger, I'm more powerful than the God you have just told me has told you to tell me to let you go. And so we pick it up there, and then in Exodus chapter 6, it begins with the word then. And sometimes you can fixate on words in Scripture and just realize that if, these are great entry points to what God wants, wants to teach us. After something happens, then whether we use these words or not, we think, well, then what? Then what's going to happen? Or now what? Or how should I respond in light of what has just happened and what I'm fear is going to continue to happen or maybe even happen in a worse way? And in this particular case, God speaks up and he speaks to his messenger. He speaks to one who should have known better but didn't. And so he speaks into his life. And and what I want to share with you this morning is that the God speaks and The principles he shares back then are the principles he still wants us to apply today. And hopefully you can see this as we look in the text. Then after their experience, then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do. And he begins in Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 this way. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go. And under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. Now, this is one statement about how it's going to happen, and he doesn't even give a specific date, but he's saying this is, this, he gives the implication, this is going to happen pretty soon, though you thought it was going to happen sooner rather than what has now been later for you. I want you to understand, not only will I show you my power, I'm going to show you that I'm under control because Pharaoh, who feels that he can do whatever he wants, I'm going to show that he can't even do it out of his own desires, he's going to be made to do what he has to do. I'm going to compel him. He's going to be forced to let you go. And I just want to make a very simple point as we think about God being in control, is that that's what he wants us to understand. In a world that seems to be out of control, and and, and no one knows what the, the life of the coronavirus is going to be, right? We don't know, is it going to be three weeks, and then they're going to open up everything? Is it going to be six weeks? Is it going to open up everything? You know, when when is there going to be more things at uh, Costco than there is now? You know, when's that going to happen? We don't know, but we know one who does know that he's under, that he has it under control, and that's simply what he begins with when then happens. I want you to know, and I'll give you a little clue, that you're wondering whether you can persuade Pharaoh to do something, and Moses over and over again says, I don't have the words to do that. I can't persuade him. I'm slow with speech and slow with thought, and I don't speak very well. He said, Look, it's not about you. It's about who? It's about God. I will make him do this. So God is under control. The book of Jude, the last two verses in it, basically says this Now to him who will keep you from stumbling. And we need to realize that at times when we kind of trip up here and trip up there, that we'll never, we'll never stumble so much that God's people can't be living out according to his plan. If you were here last week, I, I told you that I'd, I'd work on memorizing that verse that the children sh- shared by, by memory last week. You know, but, And this is, this is what 1 Peter 2.9, it's in our text, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Now you need to realize you are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you, you will be able to offer up help to others to see the goodness of God. For you have been brought out of darkness into his wonderful light. And see, that's the hope that we have, is that we're, because we're God's people, He's got got a message for us, and he will, who has brought us out of darkness, give us the ability to show other people the goodness of God. And that's our message. In the midst of a world gone wrong, God is right, and he is the one that we need to turn to. But then he goes on and says uh, to a a person like Moses and says, well, I know you just told me that you got under control. You're going to be able to move Pharaoh. But implied in this is, well, why should I believe that? Because it hasn't happened yet. And so God goes on and says, look, I just told you, I've got life in control, but also I want you to know I've been faithful to promises in the past. This is where he says in verse 2, God God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. In fact, that phrase, I am the Lord, he uses four times in this chapter. He says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Now, why do you think he said that four times? Because they had forgotten that what? He was the Lord. So I need to remind you, I, I, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And, and so he says this, says, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and now what he's saying here, I am the Lord, and I just want to let you know, I just didn't show up now. You know, I, I've been around from the very beginning. And, and, and all of your people, remember how it all began, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was the Lord to them. And, and by the way, when I was the Lord to them when they were alive here on earth, as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And I'll tell you what that probably means. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourn. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, For and I have remembered my covenant. Now, that's kind of fanciful language to simply say this. Okay, He's talking to someone at that moment, who's uncommitted that God's going to come through for them. Uh, have you ever been there? You know, you're, Things are getting worse rather than better. Things aren't happening according to your time frame, and, and you're not sure what God's going to do. And, and there are times we don't know God's time frame. Most of the time, we don't. We don't know exactly how he's going to get out, uh, help us get out of what we're in, or help us endure what we're in. And, and so what he does here is, look at. can you look in the past just for a little bit and see how I've been faithful to your people? Remember that covenant I made with Abraham? Now, a covenant is a word we don't often use. Basically, a covenant is a promise. In fact, the word covenant from the original language simply means to, to cut a deal. It's, 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 you know, sometimes if we make a financial transaction with someone, we'll, we'll say cut a deal. And when you cut a deal with someone, you, you are thinking there's certain obligations I'm going to take on, and certain obligation, what? The other person is going to come on. And that's what's called an a conditional covenant or conditional promise. If you do your part, I'll do my part. If you do your part, then I'll do my part. But there are other promises. There are other deals that have been cut where it's called unconditional promises in which God says, I'm going to come through whether you come through or not. And he does this with Abraham. Uh, Remember Father Abraham had many sons? Father Abraham had, I don't know if you know that song. But anyway, had many sons. Well, he didn't used to have many sons, did he? When it all started, uh, how many sons did he have? Zero. But God cut him a promise. And there were different factions, there were different details of this promise. But he said, look, you, you, your descendants are going to be so many, so many you can't even count them. And they're going to be a blessing to the entire world. And so God gave him that promise, and then it was fifteen years later, and still nothing has happened. And so, you know, what we do, try to do sometimes, so well, I, I guess I better help God out a little bit. And so he had this relationship with Hagar and comes up with a son named Ishmael and things have never been at peace since then. And then, and then. and then God says, look, you just need to wait upon me. And sometimes God wants us to trust him by waiting. But what he does, he brings them Isaac. He's the, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob is the one whose name t- turned to Israel. And, and, and what he does, he shows him by being faithful that his descendants just multiply in a miraculous way. And as, as he gives Moses that look in the past, he says, "I want you to understand because I've told you I'm in control, and now I'm remind you that the reason you know I can be in control, I have always been faithful to my promises. And trust me, for all of us, as you think about that, if if you've had any length of time of knowing the Lord, and if you don't know the Lord, this is the day to know the Lord. How do you get through the present and the future by looking back in the what? In the past." If God has been faithful you in the past, do you think he might be faithful to you in the present and in the future? It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but that he will allow you either to endure it or rescue you from it. And that's what he says to them. Look, I, I, I cut a deal. I cut a promise. I made a covenant. And I will come through as I have in the past. And I will now do for you now in the present and all that I will promise to do in the future. Does that make sense? So as we we go through life and we're wondering what's happening, how we make sense of it, then we ask the question, well, then what? Or now what? God says, okay, let me remind you of something. I am in what? Control. And in case you're not sure that, I have been faithful to my promises in the past. But if you're like me, okay, okay, okay. Now, but what are you promising for me now and in my future? So then God goes on with Moses, and this is an interesting passage, and you could try to get into it in a variety of different ways. He basically gets very specific with him and says, okay, I will do this. And he goes, well, I will do this. 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 Now, I didn't count quickly why I was saying that, but for s- he makes seven I will statements in just a few verses. These are God's unconditional promises to God's people, and he reminds Moses, okay, let me be very clear to you. You're doubting me right now, even though I've just told you I'm in control. I remind you I've been faithful in the past with my promises. Now I'm going to tell you right now what I will do. Now, I could take a step back here and say this. A lot of times God's people get in trouble because we make I will statements statements God has not said to us. God never said, I will make it easy for you, all right? He didn't say, I will never allow you to have any problems or or trials or challenges. But he does make some I will statements for us that allow us to go through life where we're not filled with the darkness but the light and knowing that his promises will be true for us in the future. Well, let's look at them this, this, um, this morning, and I'll summarize these I will statements with one of them. I will miraculously redeem my people. Now, we don't use the word redeem very much. Remember, you, this, is the, this is probably the service we can remember. Remember, um, what, what, was the blue, what was the stamps you used to collect? Um, blue, chip. blue chip. The blue chip. Remember those blue chip things? You, you collected so many of them, then you could redeem them from something better than just sticky stuff, right? You, you would collect things so that you could redeem them or purchase something else. Well, basically saying this, I want you to understand, I'm going to redeem you. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to grab you and, and rescue you from what you're going through. But let's look at the I will statement, seven of them. And I'll read the section, and then I'll go back and dis- dissect a little bit. Verses six or eight. This is God speaking now. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel. He says, I know... You're having a trouble believing me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the then what for you. And also, the people you're trying to lead are going to struggle with this. So I want you to give them these promises. Say, therefore, the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so in those three verses, 6, 7, and 8, he makes seven I will statements. And it gives a picture of what he, he's promising them in the past, but also for us as Jesus comes on the scene and promises us as far as what he will do for us. First one is I will bring you out from under the burdens. In particular, he says the burdens of the Egyptians. And and what what I want you to see is what we know because we we've read or saw the film or the whether it was the what was the um, the one with the Ten Commandments or what was the cartoon that we have we've, we've heard the story. But as as we look at Moses right now, they, they had they hadn't experienced that, had they? They hadn't experienced the deliverance, so this was all future grace or future faith. And he says, "I will deliver you from the burdens." Now, what was he saying there? He was saying, "Look, let me speak right where you're living right now." Okay, you're going to Costco and you can't find out what you, you can't find enough things to buy for what you want to take home. You know, you're, people are restricting what you can do or whether you can actually go to work. People are saying, "I'm depriving you of your livelihood." Whatever it might be, that's a burden. And what he's saying to them says, I will deliver you from the burden. Now, on that day, their burden was pretty, pretty clear. They had, to, they had to make bricks. They had to make bricks without any straw. And the quarter was way beyond their, their ability to do it. And they were overwhelmed with what they were get, having to do. And they weren't getting any benefit from doing it other than not getting another whipping from um, the Pharaoh's men. He says, I'm going to deliver you from that. Was well, God promised us in our day anything like that? Well, look at Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, a familiar passage for many of you. This is what Jesus said. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that has nothing to do about what your workplace is like or the financial condition you might be in right now. But he's saying, you know, look, when you follow me, what, what, what's, what's the greatest burden that anyone could have? Uh, is what's going to happen in my future? When I face death, do I have any confidence about what's coming next? Or if I, if I experience a, an illness now or a, a failure or some great loss, am I going to be able to handle it? And what he's saying right here, look at I, I, I will, I will rescue you from my burdens. Not necessarily your burdens, not, not, not necessarily take it away, but I will give you the ability to go through it. And so we need to recognize that, that, that the Lord is the one. The Lord is the one we can trust when we have no idea where the coronavirus is going to go, where, how it's going to affect people financially or or where they're staying, whatever it might be. But the Lord will allow whatever we go through that He will allow us and give us the ability to endure it or rescue it from us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the greatest rest is the rest in your soul. But then He goes on and says, not only will I, I will rescue you from your burdens, but but I want and deliver you from your burdens, is I will, I will take you out of your bondage. Now, we obviously know there was a period of time in our history where we were, in, we were caught up in the, in the sin of slavery, physical slavery. Right now, we don't have any physical slavery going on in America today. But we need to recognize that many people under bondage. They are caught up in, in whatever might be imposed upon them or, or maybe the addictions of this world. And what he's saying, I want you to understand that I have power over bondage. That's what is enslaves you. And maybe some things in your own life right now, you're enslaved to some habits of the old life or some fears of, the, of what's going to happen in the days ahead. And what Jesus says, that, that, that greatest bondage is not the enslavery of Pharaoh to his people, but it's the it's slavery of a life out of control. As we think about what God has promised there, we need to recognize that in the midst of what we go through, He sets us free from our sin. And I have no idea where I just put my notes. <laughs> you know, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11 14, verses 11 and verse 14 says this Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. That's an amazing statement. E- either it's just crazy language or it's, it's true. W- whatever is master over us, whatever, whether it's a fear or a habit or a, a challenge of life, God says, look, I'm going to set you free from that. You're not under bondage. You're not enslaved to anything. I've broken the chains that, that overpower you. The Bible says that we are more than over conquerors in Christ Jesus. The the verse for the month, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new, what, creation or creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Some people are so so tied to their past, they, they can't even live now in the present. They, they, can't, they can't get rid of all the failures of their, their past life. And and God said, Look, I've set you free from that. that. That trailer that you've been pulling around with a heavy load of what's gone on. So I'm cutting that off. And how does he do that? Because Jesus' work on the cross sets us free from that which is a master over us, which is our sin. So as we think about the then what, well, what's the then what? The then what is I will deliver you from being under your burdens and, and under bondage. And, and then, he, then he goes on and says, and then I will redeem you. and, and that, It's interesting. This is only the second time in all of uh, God's word so far. There's one account in Genesis uh, that he uses the word redeem. In other words, they had no idea. Well, what do you mean, redeem? In fact, what's interesting about this whole text is he says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. And he makes a statement, and says, well, before in the past, no one knew me as the Lord. Well, that's strange because the the Lord is used, Yahweh is used in in the book of Genesis. What does he mean by that? He says, well, they saw me as a provider and maybe a protector, but they didn't see me as a redeemer. Because number one, they weren't enslaved, but now they're enslaved, and now they're wondering, well, how how does God being the Lord, Yahweh, uh, how does that apply to us? Because to understand him as Yahweh, he's a redeemer. And are the various Hebrew words and Greek words, and we don't have the time to go through those, but as you think about Goel or Goel as well as Ex-Agarzidzo and also Lutrao in the Greek, th- those interesting words really speak about the relation God has with his people. Some of you are familiar with the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Boaz and Ruth, and, and you see Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. And what, what he does for her as a relative, it sets her free from the bondage of what she's in. And, and when you set someone free from something, normally there's a price that has to be paid. And as we look at Jesus, when he set us free, when he redeemed us, he bought us back into relationship with him, that price was a high price, right? It costs us cost him his own blood to provide the way to be our substitute for what we should receive, but he received for us. But when he paid the price, he just didn't pay the price uh, that we owed for our sin, but he then set us free. And so as he talks about this people who are in bondage and under burdens, he said, look at what, what's going to happen is I'm going I'm to buy you back. It's going to cost me, but it's going to cost you nothing other than surrendering by faith to me. So as so we think about a life in a world gone wrong, we need to realize that in the life that the world's gone wrong that everything's right with the living God, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the light, that, that brings us into a right relationship with him. He's the one who can deal with our burdens, our bondage, and he's the one who can redeem us. But then he speaks in some other ways in terms of just for us to picture what, what the living God does with and for his people. He says, I will take you for my people. You ever been in conversation where someone wants to get connected with one group of people to another group of people? Or a particular person wants to get connection with some people he wants to get, uh, have conversation with? Some, sometimes they'll respond this way in the business world. Say, well, my people will get in touch with your people and then we'll get together." And you're wondering, well, who is your people? And as you think about the living God, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Well, who, who is God's people? Who, who are really related to him? You know, some people talk about the fatherhood of God. Well, the fatherhood of God, in one sense, if you're talking about everyone in this, on this planet has been created by God, right? If, if God didn't make you, you wouldn't be here. But be, just because you are, have, you are a living being doesn't mean that you are a part of God's people. We're all creatures of God, but we're not all children of God. And to become a child of God, that takes an act of God on his part for us. And from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and I quoted earlier in the service, after 1 Peter 2, 9 comes 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. All right, I just want to make sure you're listening still, okay? This is what he said. This is pretty plain. He says, I will make you my people. He says, for you once were not a people. Now, think about that for a moment. This is the Apostle Peter describing people in the world. He said, look it, we, we all think that God, if there is a God, he loves us, right? We, we, we all think there's a God out there that, that um, wants us to be part of his family. Well, there's a God out there who loves us, and there's a God that wants us to be a part of our family, but that in and of self doesn't make us part of his family. And so he gets very plain with them, for you once were not a people, you weren't part of the family of God. But then he says, okay, but this is um, this is B.C., you know, that was B.C. before Christ. Now this is A.C. after Christ. But now you are a people. And that's the most important uh, designation for all of us. Are you a people of God or are you not a people of God? Are you part of God's family or are you not part of God's family? It doesn't come automatically. There once was a time for every single one of us in this room where we were not a people of God. We were outside of the family of God. But then there's a crossroads. There's, there, there's that place where we get off the fence and we, we put our faith and trust in Him. And it's God wooing us to Himself. But then we, we make that, that full-hearted surrender. And once when we were not a people, now we become a people of God. And then he, he illustrates this way. And you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now our church is called Grace Hills Church. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. okay. And we get much better than we deserve. But you know what mercy is? It's not getting what you do deserve. All of us, all of us deserve the judgment hand of God. But because of God's great love and rescuing, we're not going to receive the judgment of God. But as we think about, okay, what does God do and then what? Then what God, what he does is he, he, he brings us out of our burdens. He sets us free from the bondage. He redeems us and he makes us one of his people. But then he goes on and says, "Oh, by the way, and I want to make this really personal. I am going to become your God." And he puts it very plainly uh, in the text in Exodus chapter six. But we need to recognize this is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Many people have a have a if they have any sense of a God. and I think everyone does. They'll sometimes well, he's the man upstairs, right? He, he, he's he's the all powerful one. He's the one with a big stick and whatever it might be, and they, they, ref, they refer to the, the, him in kind of general terms. So not, I'm, just not, I'm just not talking about that you have a general sense that there was a, uh, a, a way this all happened and whatever form he did, he, he made it happen. We talk about that God created. But he says, I want you to understand that I'm going to be your God. Matthew one twenty three says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means what? God with us. And that's what he was telling them. You, you, you think you're far from God, but I want you to understand, you're my people, and I'm going to be with you. And, and then he goes on to say, oh, Okay, let me get very specific with you. Sometimes we think, well, God, you know, God's going to be the you know, great bluster in the sky. Well, what does he specifically do? For the people of Israel, you know what he said to them? He says... I will bring you into the land. Now, we don't have time to go through all that, but there's multiple, multiple passages in the book of Genesis and actually out throughout the Old Testament where God reminds us of the covenant, the deal he cut with Abraham. And we already talked about it in, in, in one specific way. He, he told Abraham, who had no children, into his elderly years, way beyond the time for him and his wife, Sarah, uh, to, to bear children You're, you're going to have descendants So many of them You're not going to be able to count them And that was this unbelievable to Moses In fact, he didn't believe until it happened He said also, by the way, I want you to know You're going to be a blessing to the entire world The entire planet And he's thinking, are you kidding me? No one knows me I'm not, I'm not very important And they all said, oh, by the way I'm going to give you a land And at that point, uh, he's thinking, okay, I'm I'm in this land, but it's not mine. you got all these Canaanite people, they're controlling it. I'm just kind of renting here. I'm leasing, but I'm not owning here. And then if you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they they had to leave the land, right? They went from Canaan, the promised land, and they were transported to what land? I think they're in there right now. They were in what? Egypt. And then when they went to Egypt, they went into slavery, and you think, well, what are you bringing this land up? We can't even get out of the, the slavery of a, of a pharaoh. And God said, well, I want you to know. I, I want you to know I'm faithful. I'm going to give you that land. And it's, it's an amazing story. But after, a, after the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, basically for 2,000 years, the Israelite nation was dispersed throughout the entire world. They didn't have their own language. They didn't have a place that they would call their home. And then in 19, 18, 1948, what happened? They went back to what was called Palestine. And, and now the nation of Israel lives in a specific part of the land that God had promised. And then, well, what has that got to do with me? Well, you know, maybe you've heard this verse or passage before in John chapter 14, 1 through 3. Uh, often this is used in, in services when we're remembering people. But Jesus said this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will once again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is he saying there? You know, as is, is, is we think about this place we live in, and we are blessed in so many different ways to, to live in America, aren't we? I mean, just amazing. I mean, it's almost... If, you, if you've ever done any traveling and, and gone to various places in the world, we are, a, uh, and we don't deserve it all the time. We hard, probably deserve it none of the time, but, but, but we are a blessed people to live in America. We have a place. That could all, that could all perish before we could know it, right? It could happen. It, we could lose it that quickly. But you know what's more important than living in America is, is knowing where you're going to live in eternity. And that's what Jesus said. He said, don't be troubled about this. Don't be filled with word. I go to prepare a place for you. You yeah, know, Beulah's land, right? Okay, this is a land, a place. I've designated for those people who know me. It's not some mysterious cloud-like existence. And it's, it's kind of mirrors what he told his chosen people who were an example to us. That I, I'm giving you a land. I want to let you know all who know me. I've got a place for you. And then to assure us, I guess, as much as anything else, he says, I, I want you to understand I'm going to give it to you as, as your possession because you're my people. And as First Peter 2, 9 says, or for, you know, and I quoted it earlier, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. So as we think about living in a world just that seems out of control, and we wonder what's going to happen next, and we don't know what's going to happen next, but we know what's happening in God's program, because God reminds us He's in control. God reminds us that He is faithful to His promises in the past, and if He's been faithful to His promises in the past, we know that we, that we can trust Him in the future. We know that God is specifically doing things that's like He's done in the past for His people. He's redeeming us. And, and then he illustrates that in the I will statements in Exodus chapter 6. He said, look, I want you to you know, no, I will bring you out from under your burdens. You, you'll be able to endure whatever you're going through. I, I, I'm going to take you out from your bondage. You're not going to be enslaved to your old life. I, the old things passed away, behold, new things have come. I, I'm redeeming you. I, I, I'm, I'm resting you because I'm paying a price and then I'm setting you free. Uh, I want you to understand that, that you, have n- you have an identity. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm giving you a place, a land. You are my possession, and you have that which you're going to possess, an inheritance that is reserved for you in heaven. Now, in the midst of all this, you think, well, that's got to be convincing for Moses, right? That ought to be convincing for all of God's people. But you know what the response of Moses is? Ah, 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 I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I can't be your representative real quickly, in the, the minutes we have left, in Exodus chapter 6, he goes on, and, and not only ex, uh, Moses, but all of his people are filled more with doubt than faith, more, more with fear than a, a trust in the, in the living God. Verse 9 says this, So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. All they could see was their pain. All they could see is what they're going through. And because of that, even though the living God had spoken to them, through his agent Moses they would not believe. And so when that happened, what do you think that how that what kind of impact that had on Moses? Look at verse 10. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Go, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the sons of Israel go out of his land." But Moses spoke before the Lord saying, "Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? And I am unskilled in speech." Isn't that how we are? If if people don't respond to us well, the first people we talk to are people we we should have bigger impact on, we're not going to tell anybody else. And that's what happened to Moses. He said, I I just can't speak well. You're gonna have to send somebody with much more eloquence and much more ability to to persuade. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a a charge of the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Which basically says, look, I know you're not feeling good about this, but you still got to do it because I'm called you. And there's like a lot of things in Scripture. Then there comes a strange section right in the middle of this chapter. He goes to a genealogy. Now, someone, if genealogies are your favorite portion of Scripture, raise your hand. I guess it's unanimous, right? I mean, genealogies, God, I, you know, there's only so much paper. Couldn't you have just left that stuff out? You know, but... But he does it for a purpose, and, and really the purpose there, and we don't have time to go through it. But he, he wants to assure Moses that one of the reasons they're maybe not believing it at the moment is because they're wondering who is this Hick from some other place. You know, so he's he's from Midian. I mean, I don't nothing comes out of Midian, and so maybe he, maybe he's not. Maybe his Israeli roots aren't really that strong, and so they give a list of the genealogy, and it finds out in a complicated way, that he is of the Levitical priesthood that will be established later, both he and Aaron. And, and so, just like he does with Jesus, the Messiah, that Jesus has the, the lineage to be the promised one that is to come. And so did Moses and Aaron. And so, so when they question your, your, uh, your ethnic purity, just speak to them, no, I have come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, the birth of Levi as being our father, uh, Great grandfather and brought us into this place where God has chosen us to represent Him. Now you're thinking, well, we we don't do that today, and that's right. We we don't we don't we don't peel out. I mean, many of us for, just for curiosity will 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 go into our ancestry and figure out how much how much blood to have from this nation and that nation and all over here, but. For most of us, it's more curiosity, right? We don't use this as the badge of that makes me smarter than somebody, or that gives me the ability to have this job or not that job. But for them, it was important. So, so what are our credentials to represent God well? Because we might come the same way, like Moses, saying, "Well, I don't speak that well, and I don't know as much as somebody else knows, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not that impressive." And I've had failures in the past. And why wouldn't he be listening now? Because I, I just don't measure up. And so what are our credentials? Well, the Bible is pretty clear on that. that our credentials are, are pretty simple. They're not always easy, but they're pretty simple. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said this to his disciples who were struggling a little bit. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, I'm, the commandment is going to sound like an old commandment because there it, it was an old commandment. But it was going to be slightly different. A a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And here's the measurement of your love, even as I have loved you. And then he says this, by this, all men will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. And so sometimes when we wonder, can I really speak for Jesus? Ask yourself the question, do you love love Jesus and you love God's people? If you love Jesus and love God's people, Jesus says, hey, that's, that's that's your badge. It doesn't say Stephen's ministers on it, but it says a disciple of Jesus, if you love Jesus and you love his people. Now, we never do that perfectly, but if we love Jesus and love his people, Jesus says, hey, you can speak for me, right? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says this, and this is a familiar passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And so we now realize that we come into God's family very simply. We put our full trust and commitment into the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves us, not because how good we are, but how good he is, and we give our life fully and completely to him. But after verses 8 and 9 comes verse what? 10. I just, you're still, some of you are still with me, all right? There's a verse 10 after verse 9. And after verse 9, it says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that's colorful language to simply say this. The credentials for the Christian is to love Jesus and to love people. And then to to demonstrate that actively and how we live and how we help other people. That's what good works are. It's not getting more brownie points or another badge, you know, on your on whatever you have, okay? It's just say, look at this do do the things that Jesus would do. Care about people. Listen to people. Help people. Be there if you have an extra piece of toilet paper, give it to them. I don't. know. Whatever you want to do, okay, uh, is is be a help. If you have a car and someone needs a ride, give them a ride. If you, if whatever you know, uh, pray for people. If you've got extra food, let them have it. If you if you've got, did you read about that one person got seventeen hundred bottles of or something like this? Seventeen hundred bottles of uh, what's that spray? The sanitizer, and he doesn't know how to sell them. I go, give them to me. I know how to sell them. Okay, anyway, is that, uh, you know, whatever it is, is be an agent of, of, of love to other people, right? Don't worry about what you can't do, but worry about what you can do. That's the credentials of the people who really know God. So what's the point this morning? What's the then what? The then what is, let's put our trust in him. Why? Because he's in control. And at times we don't see how he's in control, but he is in control. And when we doubt that, just remember he's been faithful to his promises in the past. He's cut a deal. And part of that deal is what he will do, not what we will do. Third, recognize there's there's some things he's promised that apply then and to us as well. He'll take our burdens. He'll take our bondage. He will, he'll redeem us. He'll, he'll make us as people. He can be our God. He, he gives us a place that we can look forward to going to that we are part of his possession because we possess his inheritance. And let's not be like Moses who, who struggles because he has credentials, but he's not sure whether those credentials are enough for people to listen to him. Because you know at the end of the story, at least in this chapter, I mean, Moses comes great strides from here afterwards. But this is after all this pep talk and, you know... You know there there was a great halftime speech by God to Moses, and he wasn't responding. And this is this is Moses' response, verse twenty eight. Now it came about on that day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you." So he says it again. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I'm the one who appealed to you in the burning bush. I spoke to you, gave you some reckless things to convince people. What was Moses' response? Now, later on, he does a lot better. Verse 3, But Moses said before the Lord, Because I am unskilled in speech, how then will Pharaoh listen to me? I'm not good enough. Send someone better. And God says, I don't, I don't send better people. I send people who know me and will obey me and will trust me. It's interesting. The, the word unskilled in speech really means I'm circumcised in my tongue, you know. It's all cut up. I can't speak clearly. And God says, it's not about you. It's about me. So when we're filled with doubts, let's, this, let's change our doubts into faith. When we're filled with fear, let's trust. When God gives us opportunity to show the goodness of God through us, let's do it as much as we can by his Spirit empowering us to be the people of God who know the true God that is the hope for this world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we we thank you that you you teach us from what has happened in the past that we can live for you in the present. And Father, we don't have all the answers about what's happening in the world, but we know one who does. And Father, why don't we put our trust and confidence in you and not ourselves. Help us to be a blessing to people around us. Help us to show us the goodness of God by doing that which is good for others. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.